from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Good afternoon, good evening, good day, whatever time you are choosing to listen to our show. Um, we are the award-winning podcast rated LGBT radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, today, we have another exciting show for you. I can't wait to talk to our guest. Um, he is brilliantly accomplished at the ripe old age of 17. I'm talking about Landon Ritchie, who is the superstar trans teen activist. Um, we've invited him on to sound off on various issues and attacks against um, not only the transgender community, but trans teens specifically. So we figured who else to talk to, but somebody who um, has been through it and um, is directly affected by some of the things that are going on around the country in different state houses. Um, Landon, just so you know, is an award-winning artist. Um, He had realized his trans identity in middle school Uh, During that time, Landon created a uh, SAGA, which is a Sexually and Gender Alliance Club. He brought it to his high school, um, where he is currently serving as its co-vice president. Um, Through SAGA, he also co-founded Four Gender Benders, a student advocacy group, and that was aimed at protecting, strengthening protections for LGBTQ plus student teachers and administrators in his school district. He has lobbied and testified at the Texas State Capitol. He's attended ACLU Summer Advocacy Program, um, the ACLU Summer Advocacy Program during his junior and senior high school uh, years in high school. Um, also through his involvement with the Gender Cool Project, Landon is able to share his story with major corporations, including Citibank, Allstate, Conga Brands, Um, He's been interviewed on television and radio, and um, he's also been featured in Rolling Stone magazine. None of that, I'm sure, compares to being interviewed on Rated LGBT Radio, so we are, you know, culminating his uh, media career so far, which I'm sure he's got a lot longer to go. Um, Before we bring on Landon, I do want to welcome onto the show uh, my co-host and the esteemed journalist, uh, Brody Levesque. Brody, good afternoon. And uh, what's happening in this COVID-19 world of ours? Uh, Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon to our listeners, whatever time of day or night you are listening to us. And let's get right to it. The latest COVID-19 numbers have been released globally as of today. 1,168,000 confirmed cases of the virus. And this is uh, globally. So far, we're listing 51,354 people who have passed away. We have another 210,191, according to the World Health Organization, that have recovered from the virus. Um, Here in the United States, of course, the pandemic continues. Uh, Florida and Georgia have been the two most recent states uh, to order their populations uh, to stay at home unless they were essential workers or in essential positions such as first responders. The pandemic actually at this point uh, is continuing uh, to rise in most cases. Part of that, as California Governor Gavin Newsom said today in his press conference earlier this afternoon, that as they're starting to get the tests out and they're starting to develop more testing protocols, they're starting to actually see numbers. um, That does not necessarily reflect, the governor noted, uh, a sharp increase in the rise of infections. It just simply means that they are now being able to test uh, for the presence uh, of the virus. Uh, We just learned that um, the captain of uh, the USS Theodore Roosevelt, part of the Pacific Fleet, it's an aircraft carrier uh, and a major component uh, to uh, U.S. Pacific strategy, uh, has been relieved. And he was relieved because he had written a letter earlier this week Uh, to the Navy Department uh, complaining about the fact that he had almost 100 sailors sick aboard. He needed some help. He wasn't getting anywhere. 
Uh, and uh, so he's now going to get relief for that, even though he's the one that raised the alarm uh, for his sailors. So there are quite a few people uh, right now currently talking about that that are a little annoyed about that situation. Uh, we have ongoing issues with the stay-at-home policy. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said earlier today in his press conference that the most important thing that people can do during this pandemic is to stay home. If you don't need to be out, don't be out. If you are out, maintain social distancing. This has been repeatedly put out there time and time again. We really need to do this. We need to pay attention to this. You need to listen to your health uh, care providers. You need to listen to your health department officials and other folks, uh, you know, because it is critically important. Uh, we learned today that the first confirmed case of COVID-19 has occurred in the state of California in a homeless shelter. Uh, this is a confirmed case. This happened in San Francisco. With the large homeless population in the state of California, uh, that is a worrying concern, particularly for the city of Los Angeles, which has over 60,000 homeless people at the last count. Uh, and so for Los Angeles authorities and other authorities, you know, this has really become something uh, that is an imperative. Um, on a little bit better news, uh, the Walt Disney Corporation, Disney Parks, has donated 100,000 of the N95 masks. They've uh, donated additional materials. Uh, Disney Corporation, uh, as you know, earlier in the month shut down all of their parks. So they're now taking their resources and combining it uh, to get these uh, personal protection equipment, PPEs, to uh, places that need them desperately. And then this morning, the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is unveiling a possible uh, vaccine for the virus. Uh, they've been working on this since back in January. Uh, they're going to start human trial tests on it. They're going to see if this will have an impact on it. Um, and with that, uh, the last thing, of course, is a silver lining on this. And I'm going to repeat it, but the growth rates in the state of New York and California and other places that have been, in fact, hotspots for the virus have actually been growing at a slower pace and leveling off or flattening the curve, as Governor Newsom and Governor Cuomo put it, in part because the stay-at-home measures are, in fact, working. So uh, on top of that, uh, you can go to healthcare.gov. Uh, that's the uh, federal site for the CDC. Uh, and every state, you uh, just Google your state uh, health department or your city's health department. Uh, they will give you uh, a place that you can go, information you can check, you can give updates. And, of course, I highly recommend that, you know, you keep in touch with your local media and you know, those of us in the national media as we bring all of you updates uh, as this uh, pandemic uh, moves forward. So, um I will uh, also add at this point, before I throw it back to you, um, I'm very excited uh, to talk to Landon. And the reason I'm very excited uh, was uh, uh, trans activist Aiden Doling, who I know was a great guy, had recommended to me a very long time ago uh, to, to watch Landon. And he gave me uh, Landon's uh, Instagram. And so I've been following Landon. Um, in my very not-so-humble opinion, the kid's a brilliant artist. I mean, it's just amazing how well he can draw. Uh, he plays the musical instruments, what I think is pretty cool, too, especially since I like jazz and blues. Uh, but the most important thing that I've noticed about Landon is the significant impact that he has had, uh, especially on his peer group. And I can tell you from my experience as a, as a journalist, and Rob, you know this as well, that one of the most significant things uh, for us is when we have a young person like Landon who becomes not only just the voice within this type of movement, but the face of it. You know, here's, here's the person. Uh, years ago, I was so honored to get to know uh, Katie Ray Hill, uh, Rain Hill, and Aaron Andrews uh, from Brooklyn, Oklahoma. And they were a couple of trans kids uh, that became basically uh, overnight media sensations. Um, Aaron was... Uh, female to male, and Katie was male to female. Uh, they dated for a little while. They both wrote books that I actually reviewed 
uh, and and I talked to them uh, when I worked for LGBTQ Nation magazine years ago. Uh, my colleagues at the Today Show had them on and interviewed them. And I think the significant impact, and, and Aaron later told me this as a Katie, uh, for them was just the fact that they were able to get out in their peer groups and, and, and be reaffirming and uh, to be the type of role models that are needed and, you know, here we are moving forward, and I think it's been almost six, seven years since then, and I see Landon, uh, who was about maybe 10 years old at, at the time that, you know, I knew, uh, at first introduced to Aaron and to Katie, and then here we are, you know, the goalpost is closer, the ball has been moved closer, and it's because of uh, young men uh, like Landon uh, and his peer group. So with that, Rob, I'll uh, throw it back to you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Brody. All right. With that, um, I'd like to uh, bring Lyndon onto the show. Good afternoon, Lyndon. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? We're great. So, um, Lyndon, take us back to your experience in um, middle school and what what led to you realizing um, the truth about your gender. Right. So... I'll go back even further. Um, since as early as I can remember, as early as I could talk, um, walk, and think for myself, I was aware that in some way I was different from my peers and those around me. I, you know, gravitated towards and insisted on wearing boys' clothes. Uh, boys' clothes. That's a quote. Um, and the same went with being associated with boys' toys and characters in role-playing games. Um, things like that. And as I got older, these feelings only persisted and got stronger. And when I was in probably second or third grade, um, I had a word that somewhat made sense of how I felt, and that, that word was tomboy. Um, but I quickly understood that I was not a girl who liked boys' things, but that I was a boy. So around the age 10 or 11, I would say, um, probably closer to 10, I discovered the word transgender through browsing the internet. And um, the summer before my seventh grade year, I attended a band camp. And I met a person there who told me he was trans. And that was the first time I had knowingly uh, met somebody who was transgender and somebody who was my age that was transgender. And he also sort of introduced me to different online um, people uh, that had documented their transitions and spoke about what it meant to be transgender on YouTube. And as those two instances sort of converged, I, I fully saw myself and I no longer realized or I no longer felt alone uh, for one, and I realized that it was possible to live my truth. And a week or so later, um, a week or so later, I sent an email from my room to my mom's uh, that was just on the hall saying that I was trans, but it didn't sort of happen as rapidly as that sounds. I had been, you know, doing my own research before I met this person in seventh grade, and it was that, that moment was the catalyst for me to be able to say, yes, this is who I am, um, and I need the world to know. I need my family to know, at least. So that's sort of how it all um, happened. And that was about 11, and I'm now 17. Um, so it's, it's been a journey, at least. Yeah. What was, it, what was your family's reaction to your revelation? I I knew they would be supportive. Um, they never really heavily imposed on me the idea that I should be girly or anything like that. They, you know, I was younger than five probably the last time I wore a dress. Um, and they knew sort of to not resist that and let me do what I had felt was right at the time. Uh, so they encouraged a lot of freedom to express myself. Um, but I still feared 
for the worst. I remember probably two or three weeks before I came out, um, my mom and I were in the car and she said something along the lines of, you know, asking me if I knew what being transgender meant um, and that it was okay that I, I could tell her anything. And basically I was like, no, 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 that's not me. When deep down, I really knew that it was me. Um, I just needed a little help getting to that place where I could tell people. Um, but after I emailed my mom, it was about a two sentence email. Um, she came into my room. We were both crying, but she told me that she would always love me. And that was the reaction yeah. from both my parents. And that night we all sat down, um, the three of us to allow me to share with them what I shared with you guys, um, how I knew for how long, um, stuff like that. And also for me to tell them what I needed from them in order to be happy and in order to be myself. Um, and ever since then, they've been by my side every step of the way. And I, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. It sounds like she already knew. I mean, as a parent, I have two, two sons that are exactly your age. Um, and when I ask a question like that, it's not because I think my kid doesn't know the answer. It's because I think they do. Right. And later on, she told me that she had actually joined a Facebook group for parents of trans kids a while before I came out. Um, yeah. She also, you know, saw a video of Debbie Jackson talking about her daughter. Um, and that was the moment for her where she realized, oh, this is my child. Um, so yeah. she was aware. My dad was sort of in denial at the beginning, but he is, um, has come around incredibly and is one of my biggest advocates today. Well, that's wonderful and good good for your folks. I mean, it's 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 what any parent should do, but still, right. the fact that they did it, um, you know, it's it is it is heartening. So, um, Landon, what to, what in it, what inside yourself? Um, I, I get what was inside yourself to identify as transgender and pursue your more authentic self path. But a lot of people who do that. Um, like to stay very private about it and, you know, go through their struggle and, you know, kind of just fit in. You kind of took the right. opposite tack of, of here we are, world, let's get this thing going, you know, went beyond yourself fighting for rights and recognition across the board for, for everybody who is trans. What motivated you to do that, to be that person? So when I came out, um, it was only probably one or two weeks before I started the seventh grade year. So I didn't have any time to coordinate or set in motion a social transition plan so that I could live authentically at school that year. Um, so at home, I was Landon, but at school, I was, in a way, self I wasn't living authentically and then choosing not to reveal that to anybody. I was unable to be myself. Um, and the following year I did socially transition and I suppose I never really had the opportunity um, to be stealth and to be undisclosed just because of the nature of my school. I mean, I'd, I'd gone to school with these kids since fourth grade when I entered the public school system, and many of them are my peers today in high school. And they have followed me, um, whether like personally or just from the sidelines, as I've gone through this transition. Um, but I think what motivated me to be as open and vocal as I am is when I was 12 going on 13, I had 
done some block walking and canvassing for the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. Um, and being able to be in a space with such amazing activists and advocates like Monica Roberts um, and seeing the difference that their voices make for uh, the community and for people not in the community um, was really impactful. And it also, that experience opened my eyes to how far we have to go because the, the ordinance was to protect Houstonians, but because it had language that protected the LGBTQ community, um, various groups turned it into, oh, they're letting men in women's bathrooms, um, which is always the go-to for this type of situation. Mm-hmm. So it, it was primarily that moment, that experience that really propelled me forward in um, advocacy and visibility, I would say. So um, I've interviewed quite a few transgender people, and uh, with that, um, there are several of them that don't like to be identified as transgender, um, and I don't blame them. I mean, there are their gender, um, and um, but then there are others like Aiden that um, Brody mentioned earlier. When we had Aiden on the show, I've, I've had him on both my radio shows. Um, he very much wants to be identified that way because while he absolutely could be stealth and assimilate in, he feels it's important um, to be public with his identity for the sake of others. Um, how, how do you feel about those two choices and how do you choose to present in terms of, of that part of your experience? So I... I understand um, the need for stealth. A lot of times it's a safety thing and it's not an option. Um, and of course, safety comes first every single time. And I think I resonate a lot with um, Aiden's perspective and how he navigates the world as an out transgender man um, because you know, if, if people, transgender people existing, whether it be in their personal lives, um, on television, um, at school, in sports, etc., then they just have these preconceived notions that are, you know, derived from the Internet and not actually meeting somebody who is transgender. So being able to live open and educate people along the way uh, is why I am so open. Um, It's to replace people's opinions about transgender people with the experience of actually meeting somebody who is transgender and being able to see, like, transgender people are no different than anybody else. Um, They are not only transgender either. They are, you know, bodybuilders like Aiden or... Um, singers and aspiring uh, Broadway musicians like Nicole Talbot with the Genical Project. So it's being able to show people that we are here, we are transgender, but we are so much more than that. And we deserve the same uh, treatment as anybody else, but also to acknowledge that visibility costs so many lives um, and thus we need, you know, extra protections that aren't currently in place Mm -hmm. in a lot of um, states and that are trying to be repealed um, in others. Very good. Brody? Landon, how are you? Good. (laughs) (laughs) Monica, Monica, the first time I mentioned your name to me, and, and Monica and I are old friends, um, she kept saying, the kid's a rock star, the kid's a rock star, the kid's a rock star. Um, 
<laughs> which you know, I mean, I have to admit, I, and and I've been I've been a longtime fan of yours, okay, and I have just absolutely been enthralled with the hard work that you, Equality Texas, uh, Amber Briggle, Monica, uh, and and the crew in Houston have put in the Houston Ordinance, uh, which I covered. Um, and, you know, it, it's just it's terribly important, I think, all right, that people get a chance, you know, to see that visibility. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Lynn, you're probably one of the bravest young people that I have met because you put yourself out there, you know, and, and it's really I'm here, okay, I'm trans, you know, this is who I yeah. am, and I'm not going anywhere. And exactly. you know, especially yeah. especially in Texas, which is like you know every time every time. I mean, I like going to visit you guys only because I'm a real fan of the barbecue. Outside of that, <laughs> no. But I mean, you know, all kidding aside, um, talk to me a little bit because uh, this is this is your this is your wheelhouse. This is your lane. You saw what happened in Idaho, and you're yeah. seeing what's going on in you know Alabama, and you. You saw some of the things that happened as a result of that really nasty divorce Brody, case Brody, in North. Yeah, Brody, and for for our listeners, if you could explain what happened in Idaho and everything else for people, well, I, I, I was I was going to I was going to do the setup first because there was one more case that Landon's aware of, and that's the one up in North Dallas County in that child custody suit where the yeah. you know the judge was like, yeah, okay, Landon, you know what's right. Okay, for Idaho, we had uh, the governor. Uh, essentially say you cannot uh, be on a sports team in high school and trans. And if you're a transgender person, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to allow you to have the proper documentation, even if you're an adult, to have a gender marker that's correct with who you identify with and what you identify yourself as part of in terms of your orientation on official documents such as driver's licenses, things like that. In Alabama, and it's related to the North Dallas County case that Landon and I were just fixing to talk about, we have a situation where in Alabama they want to make transitioning of a minor criminal, which, uh, Landon, if you don't mind, it's completely up to you, but you know that's a hot-button subject for you particularly because you've been through that drill, and you did it in Texas, and you were able to do it, but if that law had gotten passed in Texas or if that law got passed and you were a resident of Alabama, you would not have been able to go as far as you had in the transition process because of that nonsense. So, you know, I'm going to give you the floor because this is your wheelhouse. You're the activist. Uh, Hit whichever one of those you want to start with. Uh, But talk to us and then talk to your fellow trans youth uh, peers out there uh, that are listening to us and the adults as well about about these issues. Go. Uh, So, like you mentioned, um, on, I believe it was Monday, uh, Idaho signed into law two bills, um, HB 500 and HB 509. Uh, HB 500 was the one that is is called the Fairness in Women's Court Act, um, and basically bans trans girls from playing on girls and women's sports teams, um, both at the high school and middle school level, but also anybody who plays in a a collegiate athletics. So intramural and recreational sports and also NCAA competitions. Um, And the provisions of that is one that a trans girl cannot compete with other girls. And that if an athlete's gender is questioned, um, there will be an examination of the athletes, and I quote, reproductive anatomy, genetic makeup, or normal endogenously 19-produced testosterone levels. So not only does this law, for one, violate the NCAA's policies, um, it targets high school and middle school athletes. So that's subjecting minors to these invasive and inappropriate examinations if they are questioned as to whether they're a cisgender girl. And then HB 509, which was um, enacted in tandem with the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, um, does not allow trans people to change their 
birth certificates to match the, the, their true genders. Um, so that opens the door and permits for them to be discriminated against on the basis of the gender on their birth certificate. So it's, you know, incredibly dangerous um, and wildly inappropriate what this bill aims to do. Um, and essentially, it, it really boils down to just excluding trans people from existing in public life. Um, and there, there are no current like mechanism, mechanisms for really enforcing um, HB 500, the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, but that makes it so that it's easier to, you know, perform these invasive um, examinations to the bodies of women and girls, right? So it's just completely, it, the government should have no say in how you are or how you can be, how you can exist. And as uh, Chase Strangio put it, he's the department director for trans justice and the LGBT and HIV project for the ACLU. Um, these two bills in Idaho marks power of government taking aim on trans lives and embedding in law a dangerous definition of sex designed to exclude trans intersex and gender non-conforming people from participation in basic aspects of public life. That's what it really boils down to. It's setting these strict binaries of boy and girl, when really that's not how things are. And this, like I said, it, it not only bars trans girls from competing with girls, if somebody's gender is questioned, they are also subject to these tests. So we've, we've seen Olympic athletes like Castor Semenya, um, a South African middle distance runner um, who is an uh, Olympic gold medalist in 2016. She, is, she wasn't able to compete because she has higher levels of testosterone. So it really does not protect or ensure fairness for women when it's bars women who don't fit the stereotypical definition of what it means to be a woman. It's just absurd. And that's it was past the day before transgender day of visibility, which also highlights why it's so important to be visible. Agreed with that. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Brad. Lyndon. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to follow up on that because, um, you know, a lot of, when when you get to the sports question, it does open up something that is a little bit more complex than other um, areas in that right. there is already this assumption made, made long before, you know, transgender rights even hit the scene that um, has categorized boy sports, girl sports. And it's based on, um, some science in that, that male bodies, male cisgender bodies are, you know, um, produce like an enormous amount more testosterone than female bodies and that, the, that, that in the body does react to physical exertion, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Studies have been done showing that a, a transgender individual who has gone through hormone therapy essentially pretty much the same in the new, new um, gender category. In other words, a transgender right. woman or a girl who has gone through um, the hormonal therapy really competes at the same level as a cisgender girl, you know, and, yeah. and it really should not affect it that way. And there is science behind that. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on somebody who has not gone through that therapy, but does obviously the emotions and everything else are already there, um, you know, given this limited archaic system that is in place in every single school. That's a really difficult thing to, you know, discuss. And 
there's one particular um, individual that comes to mind, um, Max Beggs. About three years ago, he is a trans male, um, and in high school, he was a wrestler, still is to this day in college. Um, but Texas UIL uh, guidelines ruled that he was only allowed to compete on the girls' team against girls. Um, he was on testosterone, but at levels within the restrictions of UIL. And consecutively, uh, 2017 and 2018, he defeated the same girl in the same category and won the state title for his weight class. So there are, you know, a lot of gray areas when deciding what should be done. But I think Max Beggs is a great example of even if trans people are forced to compete with the gender they are assigned at birth, you know, they're still going to shine and win titles. But you're just putting on so much more emotional stress and subjecting up to, you know, invalidation by those boxes. So it's, there isn't an easy answer for sure. Right. And and it should be noted that in, in all of the different sports programs around the country, um, the vast majority of trans teens who are participating are fitting in just fine in their um, identified gender that the, right. the spotlight gets thrown in cases where there are transgender kids who've excelled and have succeeded. And all of a sudden that spotlight is thrown as, well, it's because yeah. they're transgender that they were able to succeed, which is, is yeah. not a fair characterization. Um, exactly. And I, I do want to switch over, though, to one of the other um, uh, things of legislation that, that is, is going up in different states because, it, to Brody's point, it, it is something that you personally have, have walked through. Um, what would your life have been like if the state had come down and told your parents they could not help you through, they could not have allowed you to take medication, they could not have had any kind of medical intervention um, in your transition. What, from a personal level, I'd love to hear what that would have meant or how that would have made you feel. So even though I came out at a young age, um, I had already began female puberty um, and was in so much mental anguish and physical discomfort from that fact. And had I not been able to, you know, start hormones or have prom surgery when I did, I think it would be a fair statement to say that I wouldn't be here today. You know, d despite having familial support, I couldn't have imagined living or even living a happy life while constantly being in that level of distress and discomfort in my own skin. Um, and and this is this is, you know, there are studies done on what gender-affirming medical care can do for trans and gender-nonconforming youth. Um, like statistics from the Trevor Project in 2009, 54% of trans youth reported seriously considering suicide in the last year. So that could be with or without medical intervention, but these laws and these regulations dehumanizing trans kids and putting up barriers leads to serious mental health issues. And when you introduce hormones and puberty blockers into the equation, it significantly improves the, the psychological, you know, health and function of trans youth just after six months of care. So it's, 
incredible what these affirming measures can do and have done um, for transgender youth. And it's really painful to see states like South Dakota um, trying to criminalize healthcare professionals who know what they're doing more than lawmakers do, um, criminalize them for, you know, giving this gender-affirming care to trans youth like myself. So, well, absolutely. Well, and thank you for sharing that about your your experience. I think what you just said is so poignant and so important, and I really sincerely hope people hear you, because um, that is that is the biggest argument. Um, against this, these draconian bills ever. Um, so thank you very much for, for sharing that. Brody? Yeah. Landon, one of the probably most difficult uh, photographs that I saw as a senior news editor on this subject matter was Amber's kid, Max, on the floor of the rotunda at the Texas Capitol after having mm-hmm. a go around with Texas legislators. I know you were there for a lot of that. I, I, I know yes. that a lot of the efforts go, and and I, and I'm, I don't mean to, as you guys say in Texas, beat the proverbial dead horse. But you know that picture of Max and, and his anguish, and you know, and, and just the look of utter hopelessness on Amber's face has always stuck with me. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like for you. You know, you're a leading activist within your peer group at your high school or in your school district uh, or even in the state of Texas, you know, talk to me a little bit about that because, you know, I, I've got that, that, that picture of Max and Amber like frozen, you know, in time in my head going, wow, you know, talk to me a little bit about that, would you? So I think I'm really fortunate to be in the school and the school district that I'm in. Um, it's, it has its problems. It's not perfect, but within Texas, it feels like a little bubble almost. Um, it's, it's one of the most diverse school districts in the country. Um, and I've had so much support from a lot of my teachers and most of my peers, um, with some exceptions, like when I entered high school, I had, we had scheduled a meeting with the administrators, like the, the counselor, my assistant principal, and the, uh, the head principal, just as a, a formality, and, you know, we're telling them that although I used the nurse's restroom in middle school, which was where I was most comfortable, and that was my personal choice, um, so I felt most safe, safe in the moment, um, that I would be using the boys' restroom in high school. And they essentially told me they would like to continue the middle school accommodations, but I did not follow their request and there have been no incidents. But other than that, um, in band, for marching band, changing, I've changed with the boys. Um, My band director wanted me to be where I belonged and there have been no issues. Uh, but I have a really strong core group of friends and just allies across all of the grades uh, that have made my high school and middle school experiences a lot better than it is for a lot of people. Um, And like you mentioned before, we started our... uh, advocacy group called Fort Genderbenders to put in place those protections in the non-discrimination policy because there weren't words uh, and language wasn't used that was really explicit in the protection of LGBTQ people in the district. And that's been an ongoing uphill battle for probably five years now but we're finally starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, I think, with, you know, rolling board member positions and new members and me speaking at 
um, the Texas Association of School Boards Conference and having three of my board members in the room in my presentation where I talked about how they haven't done anything. So it's starting to change for the better. It's already good and I'm grateful that I've had that bubble um, because a lot of Texas, most of Texas is simply not there for trans people, especially trans youth. That sucks. I know that there's been a big ongoing battle for Max and his mother. Um, one yeah. of the friends of the show uh, that Rob and I have interviewed numerous times before uh, is Shannon Minter. He's a trans man. He's an attorney. He is also the legal director for the National Center for Lesbian Rights and a personal friend. Uh, he lives uh, in the hills of East Texas. And there's been more than once that um, you know, Shannon and I have had this conversation. I, I think the biggest part of it is just, you know, the affirmation for trans youth. And, you know, I, it's one of the things that, you know, I think is so critically important. And it's one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons, you know, we needed to talk to you so that you would be able to express to people so that adults in particular, you know, understand just how critically important it is. Yeah, I think the kids get it. But a lot of times I don't think, you know, the adults really do get it or they seem right. to not to want to get it. So, um, mm-hmm. let me, Landon, let me ask you this. You know, you get five minutes alone with Texas Governor Greg Abbott, just you and the governor, okay? What would you mm-hmm. say to him? What would you say to Governor Abbott? Well, uh, that's difficult. I know it's happened in the past or at least with Dan Patrick, um, where a family and a young trans kid met with him during the, you know, bathroom bill fight, and he still went through to advocate for it. Um, But if I were to say anything to Governor Abbott, it would... Be along the lines of what if I was your kid? If Mm -hmm. your child came to you and expressed to you their true self, why would you go out of your way to make sure that their life is miserable? Wouldn't you want the same thing for your child as you do for anybody else? The same protection, the same opportunities, the same shot at a future. And I I think one of the common arguments I've seen that really has a huge impact is for say, a transgender male to a parent, would you rather have a dead daughter or Mm -hmm. a living son? You know, these are lives at stake. And the the message sent from his office is that these lives don't matter, that they shouldn't exist in public life. And I would want to know how his you know, perspective might change if somebody near and dear to which he cares deeply for um, had told him that they were transgender. But it hits a lot harder when you're a parent because it's personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. That's, that's, that was brilliant. That is brilliant. Um, Landon, what, what your... Um, you know, you're you're starting to get to the end of your high school career. Um, what lies ahead of you? What what are your plans from there? So, um, yeah, I'm a senior in these odd times. I uh, don't even know if I'll have an in-person graduation, but I'll, I'll be attending um, the University of Houston Honors College in the fall. Uh, at the moment, 
I'd plan to major in political science, but that may change, and I'm trying to stay open to change. Um, but I obviously will still continue to advocate in whatever ways I can while still balancing, you know, the life as a college student and, you know, eventually needing to get a job and moving out and all that stuff. So that's where I am right now. That's what's in the near future. Right. What is the effect you ultimately want to have on the world? I Another thing that really drives my advocacy and visibility is giving back to the trans community. Because when I was 10, 11 years old, all I had were were people who were screened. And then when I finally had these people in my real life and had that support and and affirmation, the things got a lot brighter. And I, I'd say that what means to, the most to me and what I hope to accomplish at the very least is to make somebody's life better, even if it's just one person, um, just by being there and by, you know, showing those those kids who aren't sure of themselves or who need that push to tell the world who they are, if I can be that one person that Aiden Dowling was for me, you know, gosh, six, seven years ago, I I will feel pretty fulfilled. Well, you are that. You 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 are an inspiration and um, I can't even imagine what kind of inspiration you are for a trans child looking up to you or trans individual looking over to you um, and what you've been through and, and what you stand for. But you're an inspiration to other people as well because there are all sorts of people who struggle with pieces of their inauthentic selves. And um, you standing up for your authentic self um, is absolutely an inspiration across the board. Um, we're kind of in, getting towards the end of the show here, and I always like our guests, to ask our guests what we have not asked them that we should have. Um, what have we not brought up to you that, that we should have asked you about? Um, I don't really think I can – I can't think of anything. I think you've covered all the bases, really. <laughs> We're pretty thorough. <laughs> Brody? Uh, Landon, why don't you tell people how to find you on Instagram? Landon uh, is very much a social influencer for the young LGBTQI plus crowd. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners how they can find you on Instagram and follow you? Landon does a brilliant job. You get a little bit of a look into his life. You get a look into his advocacy. Uh, you got to look into his art, which I personally think is brilliant. Uh, so, Landon, how do they find you? Yeah, so my Instagram is at Landon underscore Richie. I made it when I was, like, 13, and that's the name it's been ever since. <laughs> and, Landon, tell us a little bit about your art. I haven't had a chance to see it. What What are your mediums, and what what um, what do you like to express through that? Um, I use a lot of different mediums. Uh, for a while, I did a lot of colored pencil. Um, I've used chalk pastel, which is really fun, um, acrylic and oil paint. But I think my art my art's kind of all over the place. I do a lot of, like, looking at something and being able to recreate it. 
Um, but I've also done pieces that, you know, highlight aspects of being trans or not fitting uh, into a binary of what it means to be a man. Um, but I also, you know, do, do art about music. So it's kind of all over the place. Uh, I think that's wonderful. Um, uh, I have a very good friend. He's a friend of the show. We've had him on before, uh, Paul Richmond. He's a brilliant LGBT artist. Um, he's, and he's done paintings of trans um, men in, as well. Um, he, is, mm-hmm. he is cisgender himself. But, um, you know, he, he le- leads workshops where people express these kind of things through art. And they're often incredibly brilliant. And it's, it's a really other way to convey the emotion and the feelings and a lot of more esoteric parts of the experience um, other than just trying right. to verbally explain things to people. So right. that, that is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, last but not least, what are you looking forward as a young person looking at the scope of the world with um, – kind of the battles between men and women with the Me Too movement and um, male-female identities. Um, what are your thoughts entering into that in general, um, especially since you have ways to relate to both sides of that equation? Um, personally, I will never know compromise my authentic self despite you know societal pressures to be one way or another and to fit in to a box and I am seeing more and more people especially young people being free with their expression and not adhering to these you know arbitrary rules of what it means to be a man or a woman Um, and I think that's really great to see um, and to see this freedom become more mainstream and I hope that can continues to increase and that people may be not so comfortable with the idea of pushing the boundaries begin to see that it's nothing to fear or to marginalize even further um, and that, you know, at the end of the day, how somebody is, how somebody presents really does not affect you um, or anybody right. else but themselves. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on with us today. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure. Um, we absolutely are that. thrilled with with who you are and everything you're doing. Um, you you are saving lives. You are an inspiration. Um, I want to thank Brody for being part of all this and putting stuff together, you know, um, and uh, also for the work you're doing, just helping the world with COVID-19. I want to thank our listeners for being on board and listening to us. Please do share this. Um, anybody can subscribe on any podcast app. Just search for Rated LGBT Radio, subscribe, and you will be with us. And we're thrilled when you do that. Also, listen to Out in Santa Cruz on Saturday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen to that live stream, www.ksco.com. And for Brody and myself, you have been listening to Rated LGBT Radio, and you can listen to us again next week when we will have another brand-new podcast for you at that time. See you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.